today is the third day of our summer, seven-day session, uh, 11th of January, 2021. And we're going to continue reading passages from Swampland Flowers, the letters and lectures of Zen Master Da Hui, uh, translated by Christopher Cleary. And we'll be starting off... Um, with the passage that we, we were looking at the end of the Taisho yesterday, as we rushed through it a bit because we were close to the, um, the finish time. And um, this was ent entitled... Who is in the way, which is, um, you can understand as a kind of pun, because the, 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 in the title, way is capitalized. So this could be saying, well, who is in the great way, who's on the path, or it can be uh, understood as, well, who or what gets in the way. And it's a very, it's a felicitous pun because um, we think that these two are different. The one who is on the way, on the great way, and the one who gets in the way. But in fact, they're not. He starts off, your letter informs me that your root nature is dim and dull, so that though you make efforts to cultivate and uphold the Dharma, you've never gotten an instant of transcendent enlightenment. Um, sure, we've all felt this one point or another. And, and I think it's important to understand here that when, when this was this correspondent reports to Da Hui that his root nature is dim. He means he means ex being experienced dimly, that the mind is dull and therefore is unable to experience its root nature. So this is somebody who's who's feeling discouraged. He says, I've never gotten an instant of transcendent enlightenment. We, can, we should always be aware, be beware of um, never statements, our own and other people's. Is that really true? Never? It's a, it's a good um, time to examine examine where a statement comes from. If it's re if it's true, if it's really true. Dahui responds, "The one who can recognize dim and dull is definitely not dim and dull. Where else do you see transcendent alignment?" The one who recognizes, the one who hears a sound, the one who sees. Right there. So often we, we think that this uh, transcendent enlightenment is something somewhere else that we have to get to. But it's just a matter of, as, as he said earlier in one of his letters, um, turn to turn your mind back, turn it around. Our mind is usually turned to our environment, to to things around us. But if we can turn that light back on itself and look, then we discover something.
Dagway continues, After all, gentlemen of affairs who study this path must depend on their dimness and dullness to enter. Gentlemen of affairs who study this path must depend on their dimness and dullness to enter. In other words, what what motivates us is that we don't see the truth clearly. That's what brings us. And we should kind of honour that. Uh, we actually find our, our wisdom right there because to to... See into our dimness and dullness is already not dimness and dullness, but actually wisdom. But he goes on, but if you hold to dimness and dullness, considering yourself to be without the qualifications for the path, then you're being controlled by the demons of dimness and dullness. And the, and the key word here is hold to. In other words, if we we, rec we recognize that we're um, ignorant to some degree or another, and then we we identify strongly with that, we cleave to it, then then our dimness and dullness becomes a problem. It becomes an obstacle. It gets in the way. Instead of being this the starting point, it becomes problematic. We make it so. That's what he means when he says, then you're being controlled by the demons of dim dimness and dullness. Demons um, are, are a way of talking about what possesses us, what takes over. Since those with commonplace understanding often make the, the intention of seeking transcendent enlightenment into an obstacle set before them, their own correct understanding cannot appear before them. Their own correct understanding cannot appear before them. This is, this is why not knowing is so important because a, a mind that, that doesn't know is an open mind into which our, our um, true nature can, can emerge. And this obstacle does not come from outside. It's nothing else but the boss man who recognizes the dimness and dullness. In, in other words, it, it's something we, we, um, we create ourselves. And of course, if we create it, then we can demolish it. man um, it's a bit of a bit of an old-fashioned and and uh, gender biased term um, think of here we can think of Basui's formulation who is the master who's the who's the one in charge you could say who's who's the one who sees forms and hears sounds who's the one who recognizes when the when there's dullness um, and then dark way relates relates the story um, that we've got to went through quickly yesterday about master Juyin who would call to himself and then he, and again, clearly translate this as his boss. 
um, boss and also respond to himself. Yes, be alert. I will. Hereafter, don't fall for people's deceptions. I won't. Fortunately, since ancient times, there have been such models. Just arouse yourself right here and see what it is. It's like to look into this uh, example that he gives here a little bit more. And we'll turn to the translation that we use um, in our Khan collection, because this is this story is um, in the Mumon Khan, it's number twelve. Suigan calls master. So let me say it again uh, using using this word master, which I think is is a better one. Every day Suigan used to call to himself, Oh master and would reply to himself, Yes, be awake, be awake and then he would answer, yes, yes, do not be deceived by others, any day, any time. No, I will not. Apparently, um, when, he, when he did this, when he, when he acted out this little drama, um, he wasn't alone. He, he would do it before... Um, before the assembly of of uh, practitioners, and so it was it was done um, as a kind of teaching, and we were also told that he would he would in fact do it very often, daily, if not more. Master, yes, be awake, be awake, yes. Yes, don't be deceived by others any day, any time. No, I will not. The, the uh, Mumon's commentary to this koan um, really illuminates it and relates to what Da Hui is talking about. Old Zuigan himself sells and himself buys. He brings forth a lot of masks of goblins and demons and plays with them. How so? Look and see. A calling one, an answering one, an awake one, and one that will not be deceived by others. If you take these different appearances as really existing, you are altogether mistaken. If you imitate Zuigan, your understanding is that of a fox. calling one, an answering one, an awake one, one that will not be deceived by others. And we recognize the ways in which we do this ourselves. There's, there's uh, the one who is a harsh, critical inner voice and the one who cringes at being judged so harshly. The, the, the unenlightened, ignorant one, the dull one and the one who sees the dullness. Would the, would the real one please stand up Mumon says, he brings forth a lot of masks of goblins and demons and plays with them. In our lives, we, we play all kinds of different roles. We're um, parents spouses, students, citizens,
about all the different kinds of masks that we put on. And we can we see the, uh, these all these different roles as as roles, as parts we play in the in the drama of life. Play them to the hilt, and then when no longer needed, put them down. Without without identifying in with any of them. to Dahui. So he told this story of Zuigan and he said, just arouse yourself right here and see what it is. The one who does the arousing isn't anyone else. He's just the one that can recognize dimness and dullness. And the one who recognizes dimness and dullness isn't anyone else. He's your own fundamental identity. This is me giving medicine to suit the disease, having no other alternative, briefly pointing out the road for you to return home and sit in peace, and that's all. If you stick to dead words and say it really is your fundamental identity, then you're acknowledging the conscious spirit as yourself, and this has even less to do with it. Therefore, Master Changsha said, People studying the path don't know the truth. It's just because they've already always accepted the conscious spirit. This is the root of birth and death over immeasurable ages. Fools call it the original man. So um, here he talks about the conscious spirit. We can equate this with um, the subjective emotional consciousness that we were talking, talking about yesterday. In other words, our dualistic consciousness. So uh, we have to be careful. He's uh, always playing the devil's advocate here. He tells us the story, but then says, um, don't just glibly say, um, uh, the one who recognizes dimness and dullness is the, our own fundamental identity without actually realizing that. He calls this sticking to dead words. So that's the danger of all these st stories. We, they turn into dead words and we think we know what they mean and yet we haven't realized the, the true nature of the self. We can, we can mistake um, our subjective emotional consciousness for the self. What I said before about depending on dimness and dullness to enter is this. Simply see what the one who can know dimness and dullness like this ultimately is. Just look right here. Don't seek transcendent enlightenment. Just observe and observe. Suddenly you'll laugh out loud. Beyond this there's nothing that can be said. Observe, observe. Basui, who had taken up this koan of who is the master, when he died, um, just before he died, he, he turned to his followers and said, look directly, and then toppled over. Next passage uh, is entitled A Sudden Leap. Generally, people who have been overly involved in worldly affairs for a long time have long been stuck like glue in the afflictions of the senses. In other words, uh, attachment to um, sense 
experiences. When, sudden, when unexpectedly it happens that someone instructs them to do some meditation in a quiet place and they temporarily get a feel of unconcern, they immediately take this as the ultimate in peace and happiness. They are far from realizing that quiescent unconcern is like a rock pressing down on the grass. Though for a time they become aware that the scene is cut off, nevertheless the root and branches are still there. When you ex uh, just stop there and say something about this. Um, in other words, um, just a, an experience of, of, of a peaceful state, state um, can be very, very inspiring, very strengthen our, our faith. But um, if, it's, if it's just a state, then it's like a rock being put on grass. You, you suppress the grass from growing, but you take the rock off. In other words, this, the conditions that got you into that state of, of peacefulness, when they change, then the, the state changes. It's not the same as um, thoroughgoing enlightenment. He says, when will they experience quiescent extinction to the full? If you want to have a real, um, have real quiescent extinction appear before you, you must make a great leap within the fires of birth and death and leap out without moving a hair's breadth. Then you'll turn the rivers into pure ghee and the earth into gold. Faced with situations, you'll be free to release or capture, to kill or bring life. No device to benefit others or benefit yourself will be impossible. So he's um, uh, uses this image of our having to leap, to leap within the fires of birth and death. What does he mean here? And what's different about this from just experiencing a, a state of peacefulness? To, to leap within the fires of birth and death. Um, and he adds also to leap without moving a hair's breadth. So it's not he's talking about an actual leap, but um, an, 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 an inner leap is the leap into profound not knowing. Keats talked about the, the negative capability. This is something that we must develop as uh, seekers of the way. He said, to be in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. Leaping gets gets across the feeling because when we leap, there's nothing um, for us to stand on. We don't know where we'll land. Leaping is to um, give rise to the great great ball of doubt. Uncomfortable and, and scary as that that can feel. To to go deeply into this unknowing is to open the mind. A mind that that is questioning is a mind that is empty.
Next passage is, is uh, entitled Meditation. Both torpor and ex excitation were condemned by the former sages. Um, torpor is, a, is another word for um, sloth or dullness. Um, excitation uh, for uh, restlessness. And these are the, seen as, as the two poles of, of extreme poles in meditation which um, we can fall into. Um, too much torpor, uh, you know, too, too calm a state and we fall into dullness. Too much excitation um, also is problematic. We want a clear mind, but a still mind. So these are like um, the two two ends of a of a continuum. And and they're condemned by the former sages. These two, they're actually um, often presented along with uh, three others to make up the five hindrances or obstacles. The other three are um, aversion, attachment to sensory experience, and uh, skeptical doubt, that, that vacillating type of doubt that we were talking about the other day. He continues, when you're sitting quietly, as soon as you feel the presence of either of these two diseases, just bring up the saying, does even the dog have the Buddha nature? Or moo. Don't exert effort to push away these two kinds of disease. Just be peaceful and still right there. Over a long time, as you become aware of saving power, this is the place where you gain power. Nor do you have to engage in quiet meditation. This itself is meditation. So when we when we sense these two one of these two obstacles arising, then right there to bring up our practice. Mu, what is this? The breath. Just sitting. Don't exert effort to push away these two kinds of disease. Just be peaceful and still right there. This is this is a lesson we we have quite a bit of trouble learning. It's all it, it's it's all about how we relate to what arises. Can can we learn to be peaceful and still, right where we are? Over a long time, as you become aware of saving power, this is the place where you gain power. What does he mean by saving power and gaining power? I think what he's referring to here is that in our in our the the usual way that we use our minds, it's um, centripetal. In other words, our our energy, our attention is is going out all the all the time, and um, grasping at uh, at different kinds of objects in our environment and so there's a sense the the the, mass, the ancient teachings of the buddha the way they talked about this was the, of the leaking of the sense doors it's like our vital energy is 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 leaking or being lost as we grasp at things or, or push them away to it's the same thing but if we if we learn to to meditate correctly and he, as he says, over a long time, we become aware that there's a way of using the mind in which this isn't happening. We're not leaking out of the sense doors, and that that and when we do this less, then a kind of we get a kind of um, meditative power 
joriki in Japanese that that accumulates because we're no longer leaking out of the, the sense doors or, or our mind is leaking less. Nor do you have to engage in quiet meditation. This itself is meditation. So he's saying that we can we can notice um, torpor and excitation um, in our daily activities and and bring up our practice right there. It doesn't have to just be when we're not moving. It's a bit easier to do when we're not moving and that's why we emphasize sitting practice because it's easier to notice what's, what's going on in the mind when we, when we still the body. But ultimately, uh, we can meditate in any of the four positions, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. And of course, that's... that's what we aspire to because it's it's wouldn't be much use if practice was just something that we um, could do in in one position The next passage is um, entitled um, Not Keeping the Mind Still, and that's in quotes, but Mindlessness. And um, mindlessness, probably um, not such a great translation here. Uh, No-mindedness, maybe a better one. Dear brother, if from the beginning you had ever known of such matters as keeping the mind still and forgetting concerns, quotes, then you would have found your nostrils wherever you touched. Though you may not fully know whether the teachers of the various localities are wrong or right, if your own basis is solid and genuine, the poisons of the wrong doctrines will not be able to harm you. Keeping the mind still and forgetting concerns included. If you always forget concerns and keep the mind still without smashing the mind of birth and death, then the delusive influences of form, sensation, perception, volition and consciousness will get their way and you'll eventually be dividing emptiness into two. While quiet, you experience immeasurable bliss. Amidst clamor, you experience immeasurable suffering. If you want to equalize bliss and suffering, don't arise mound, mind to keep mind still, and don't use mind to forget concerns. Twenty-four hours, get to forget concerns. Twenty-four hours a day, let go and make yourself vast and expansive. When old habits suddenly arise. Don't use mind to suppress them. Just go right to this sudden arising to observe a saying. Mu. At just such a time, it's like a snowflake on a red-hot stove. For those with a discerning eye and a familiar hand, one leap and they leap clear. Only then do they know lazy Jung's saying. Right when using mind, there's no mental activity. Crooked talk defiled with names and forms, straight talk without complications, without mind but functioning, always functioning but non-existent. The mindlessness I speak of now is not separate from having mind. These aren't words to deceive people. So um, it seems like within, in this response that he's received... Um, a letter from the student that he's writing to, and the student has said, uh, I'm keeping the mind still, and I'm forgetting concerns. And so, as always, Dawei um, kind of comes at this from an unexpected angle, plays, plays the devil's advocate, and um, says, no, it's not about you, um, keeping the mind still or forgetting concerns. Um, because if you if you're um, 
doing those things uh, in a in a kind of willful way, then um, you're you're um, uh, setting up a subject and an object, a one a mind that needs to be made still, and then the mind that's doing that, the mind that has concerns and the mind that that, that is um, l letting go of concerns. He says, okay, that's not the point. The point is to to smash the mind of birth and death. In other words, uh, completely overturn it. Until we do that, until we really see through um, mind to no mind, then... Uh, Will be will be subject to um, the deceptions of the five skandhas: form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. Our body and minds will deceive us. If if the kind of peace that we're experiencing is conditioned, then um, it will. The, the 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 joy and bliss that we experience in that peace will inevitably turn into, as he says, uh, immeasurable suffering once clamour returns. So he says, if you if you want to equalise bliss and suffering, um, in other words, have a mind of of evenness, not depending on either of these two. Don't arise mind to keep mind still and don't use mind to forget concerns. Instead, he says, just take up the, the sword of, of Mu, which cuts through all these distinctions. That's what the, the, the verse is pointing to. Can we see that right when using mind, there's no mental activity? Can we discern within crooked talk, defiled with names and forms, can we see a talk that is without complications? Without mind but functioning, always functioning but non-existent. The mindlessness I speak of now is not separate from having mind. These aren't words to deceive people. So no mind. Or as, as um, Ma Tzu might call it, ordinary mind. This, the writer of this verse says at the end, these aren't words to deceive people. But in the end, the words do get in the way. And we need to go beyond this grasping of, of the teaching and words, um, the, the finger pointing at the moon, and simply turn towards the moon itself. And that's where Mu comes in. To keep turning back to this mystery that can't be pinned down. What is it? And then to, to leap into the, that sense of not knowing. As Dawei puts it in this passage here, one leap and they leap clear. I remember when I first heard these these kinds of teachings, uh, being feeling just really frustrated and really stymied. Well, how do I leap? How do, how do I make that happen? But you actually, it's a process. Um, earlier, Dahe was talking about after a long time, we we enter into a process, and then uh, at a certain point it ripens, and then we leap.
That's one way of, of looking at it. And we could also think of it that right from the beginning, every time that we, we turn our mind back to move from whatever we've um, got caught up in, we're leaping right there. The next segment is um, entitled Contemplating Mu. You inform me that as you respond to circumstances in your daily involvement with differentiated objects, you're never not in the Buddha Dharma. You also say that amidst your daily activities and conduct, you use the word Mu to clear away emotional defilements. If you make efforts like this, I'm afraid you'll never attain enlightened entry. Please examine what's under your feet. Where do differentiated objects arise from? How can you smash emotional defilements in the midst of your activities with the, the word move? Who is it who can know he's clearing away emotional defilements? Didn't the Buddha say, sentient beings are inverted, they lose themselves and pursue things. Well, sometimes sentient means beings have been turned upside down by delusive thinking. Basically, things have no inherent nature. Those who lose themselves pursue them on their own. Originally, objects are undifferentiated. Those who lose themselves do their own differentiating. You say you have daily contact with differentiated objects and you're also within the Buddha Dharma. If you're in the Buddha Dharma, it's not an object of differentiation. If you're among differentiated objects, then it's not the Buddha Dharma. Pick up one, let one go. What end will there be? At the Nirvana Assembly, um, this was the, the, the night before the Buddha um, passed into um, Parinirvana, the broad-browed butcher put down his slaughtering knife and immediately attained Buddhahood where he stood. How could you have so much sadness and sorrow? In your daily activities, as you respond to circumstances, as soon as you become aware of being involved with differentiated objects, just go to the differentiating to raise the saying, Mu. Don't think of it as clearing away. And don't think of it as emotional defilement. Don't think of it as differentiation. And don't think of it as the Buddha Dharma. Simply contemplate Mu. So Da Wei sort of brushes away, or wipes away all this, this correspondence, ideas about his practice. He says, put that all down. Just raise the question. Just bring up the word Mu. And don't set your mind on it and awake enlightenment. If you do, objects and the Buddha Dharma are differentiated. Emotional defilements and, and Mu are differentiated, interrupted. I'll read that again. Um, mu, emotional defilements and Mu are differentiated, interrupted and uninterrupted are differentiated, and encountering the confusion of emotional defilements so body and the mind are unsettled and being able to know so many differentiations are also differentiated. It's, it's tiring. <laughs> 
it's tiring to read out a sentence like this, and that's kind of the point that Dahui is making. We just pile um, thought on top of thought, division on top of division. If you want to remove this disease, just contemplate the word mu. Just look at the broad-browed butcher putting down his knife and saying, I am one of the thousand Buddhas. True or false? If you assess it as false or true, again you plunge into objects of differentiation. It's not as good as cutting it in two with a single stroke. Don't think of before or after. If you think of before and after, this is more differentiating. Schwan Schwa said, said that this matter cannot be limited. The road of thought is cut off. It does not depend on an array of adornments. From the beginning it's been real and pure. Moving, acting, talking, laughing, clearly understand wherever you are. There's nothing more lacking. People these days do not understand the truth in this and vainly involve themselves with sensory phenomena, getting defiled all over and tied down everywhere. Even if they understand sense objects are present in the complex confusion, names and forms are not genuine, so they try to freeze their minds and gather in their attention, taking things and returning them to emptiness, shutting their eyes, hiding their eyes. If a thought starts up, they immediately demolish it, as soon as the, the slightest conception arises, they immediately press it down. Those with a view like this are outsiders who have fallen into empty annihilation. Dead people whose spirits have not yet departed, dark and silent, without awareness or knowledge. They're covering their ears to steal the bell, vainly deluding themselves. So, so all of that was a quote of this of this um, other master, Xuan uh, Sha. What, what Da Hui is pointing to here is that um, as soon as we, we uh, make an effort to do something, then we are setting up uh, a divided world of subject and object. Doing something is different from simply paying attention, questioning. So this, this teaching applies to whether when we're doing the breath or shikantaza or a koan to just become the breath so that the, the breath fills our awareness. So there's no, there's, we get to a point where there's not anyone breathing and nothing being breathed. If we're doing uh, shikantaza, just sitting there, just experiencing whatever is arising and having a certain life and then passing away in our, in our, uh, field of awareness all of it no attempt to control what is happening but just observe observe, observe look, listen, feel or if we're working on a koan just move just what is this In the conduct, conduct of your daily activities, as you're involved with differentiated objects, when you become aware of saving power, this is where you gain power. Gaining power is the ultimate in saving power. If you use the slightest power to uphold it, this is definitely a false method. It is not Buddhism. Just take the mind so long-lasting 
and bring it together with the saying Mu. Keep them together till the mind has no place to go. Suddenly it's like awakening from a dream, like a lotus flower opening, like parting the clouds and seeing the moon. When you reach such a moment, naturally you attain unity through the upsets and errors of your daily activities, just contemplate the word Mu. Don't be concerned with awakening or not awakening, getting through or not getting through. All the Buddhas of the three worlds are just unconcerned people, people for whom there is nothing. All the generations of ancestors, too, were just people without concerns. The ancient worthy said, just comprehend nothingness in the midst of things, unconcern amidst concerns, when seeing forms and hearing sounds, don't act blind in death. Another great worthy said, Fools remove objects but don't obliterate mind. The wise wipe out mind without removing objects. Since in all places there's no mind, all kinds of objects of differentiation are non-existent of themselves. We'll have to um, wait until tomorrow to go a little bit more into this, into this uh, passage. We'll stop here and recite four vows. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.